Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. If you have your Bibles today, I want to ask you to take them with me and turn to 1 John chapter 4. Whether you're watching on the live stream from home or from wherever you're located right now, or you're watching from the community, tell us to examine our lives to determine, are we truly a follower of Jesus Christ? See, we've been going over the last several months through a sermon series at Crosslink entitled, More Than a Name. And what we're seeing loud and clear is this, being a Christian is more than just a name. There are many people in our culture, certainly in the Shenandoah Valley, Bible Belt, Virginia, there are many people who grow up in a moral, religious home, and therefore, they determine that they must indeed be a Christian. Many people in our culture right around us grew up learning the messages and learning the Bible stories. They know about David and Goliath. They know about Jonah and the well. And so they say, yes, I am a Christian. It even could be that their grandfather was a preacher and that their mama was the most incredible prayer warrior they knew in their life. And because of their background, they would say, yes, I am a Christian. But being a Christian, it's more than just a name. It's more than just a background. It's more than just how you grew up or didn't grow up in the church. Being a Christian is about being a believer in Jesus Christ, one in which you have accepted him as the Lord and Savior of your life. Being a Christian means that you have a relationship with God, not on the basis of your works, but on the basis of your faith in Jesus Christ. And as a result of that today, your life is being lived for him. It's more than just a name. And today, as we look at 1 John chapter 4, God once again brings us to a trait he brings us to an action. He brings us to a characteristic. And it's like God is speaking through John to say, now examine your life. Is this true of you? Is this trait evident in your life? As John penned these words, John was looking at an early church that had begun to hear all sorts of false teaching. There were false teachers coming into the church and they weren't dismissing Jesus, but here's what they were doing. They were watering down the gospel by adding to Jesus. Oh yeah, you can believe in Jesus over here. Yeah, you could have grown up in a Christian home, sure. But let me tell you about all these other works you gotta do. Let me tell you about how you gotta dress and all the good things and how you gotta help your neighbor. And if you do all these things, then you'll really, 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 really know. What God is speaking to us through John is this. No, 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 no. It's not about works. It's about relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And if that faith is evident in your life, it will manifest itself in several ways. Now today, if you're here with us for the very first time, you haven't heard a single message of this series, that's entirely okay. Because in this pastor scripture, there have been several things that John has already stated that have stood on their own. But now in this text, John begins to show us how they weave together. And he begins to show us in this passage what perfect love looks like how we can receive it, and how we can express it to others. So as we open God's word this morning, I wanna ask you a very personal question to examine in your life. I want you to really think about it. Here's the question. Do you love others with a perfect love? Do you love others with a perfect love? Maybe you're here this morning, you're thinking, whoa, 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 time out, time out, time out. 
That sounds impossible, right? Like I'm an imperfect person. I, I've messed up along the way and sometimes I get selfish and sometimes you know, things don't go my way and that seems impossible. But God in his word shows us what perfect love is, how we can receive it, and how we can walk in it today. First John chapter four, I wanna to preach to you this morning on the subject, practicing perfect love. And if you're physically able to do so, I wanna ask you to stand to your feet for the reading of God's word, beginning in first John chapter four, verse seven, and we'll go through the remainder of the chapter. The Bible says this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and listen to this phrase, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. We've seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. For God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Verse 17, key phrase. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Listen to this summary. So if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning and I thank you for the freedom that we have in this country and the opportunity we have to read your word here today. God, I pray that we would do more than read it, but I pray that we would open our hearts and our minds and our eyes. God, that you through the Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts today. God, that we would be transformed and changed by this perfect love. And God, I pray as we're transformed from the inside out, that you would help us to love others like we ought. We pray it all for the glory and name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you. you. May be seated this morning. Practicing perfect love. I've stated here in recent weeks that one of the most interesting words in the English language is the word love because we use it to describe so many things. We could say that we love a ball team. We could say that we love a certain food or dessert. We could say that we love a certain experience. And then we could turn around and say that we love our spouse all in the same exact English word that describes all these different things. But in Greek culture, the Greeks primarily used four words to describe different aspects of love. 
The first word was the word for storge love. And the idea of storge love, it's that it's family relationships and family connections. We have many family members joining us here today and they're here because they love one another. They love their family and they came to support and encourage as their families were being dedicated today to the Lord. There's a second type of love that the Greek culture would use and that is eros love. Eros love is, frankly, it is a passionate type of love, often described as a physical type of love. From this word, we get the word erotic. And oftentimes in our culture, that's associated with lust and things that are sinful. But in the context of a marital relationship, that's a gift from God. He desires and designed it that we would experience intimacy in the context of our marriage. The third use for love in the Greek culture was phileo love, which literally means it's a brotherly, it is a friendly type of love. We understand the city of Philadelphia, of course, is the city of brotherly love. The idea there is that there's this deep bond as friends that's really, frankly, more like a brother or sister type of bond. But the final Greek word for love and the primary one used in the New Testament over 320 times is the word for agape love. The agape love is describing God's love towards us. It is that love that is unconditional. It is that love that is sacrificial. It is that love that is faithful and never ending. It is that love that is pure. And what God is showing us in 1 John chapter four is that God's love is perfect and we can experience that love today. And once we experience through his power and help, we can also express it to others. Unfortunately today, much that we call love in our culture is not love at all. I'm reminded of the old illustration about the young lady who began to write a letter, a Dear John letter, so to speak, to her boyfriend, Johnny, that she had broken up with several months before. And she was sorry for what she'd done and she wanted to express her love and commitment to him. And so she wrote these words. She said, Dear Johnny, I love you so much. I'm so sorry I broke up with you. I don't know what in the world I was thinking. Please forgive me. I wanna spend the rest of my life with you. I wanna make you happy and I wanna serve you well. I want you to know how much I love you. I love you so deeply. I can't wait to spend the rest of my life with you. Love, Julie. And then below the love, Julie, she penned this little scribbled word, P.S. Congratulations on winning the state lottery. Much that we call love in our day, we say love, and it even sounds like love, oh, that's good. But in the end, if you really evaluate, you begin to realize it's very self-seeking. God shows us a perfect love that we can experience and then express to others. And we see that in 1 John chapter 4. I want us to make today three observations from the text. Now, I want to encourage you, if you've been to Crossing before, you know that we often go verse by verse through a pastor scripture. Today, we're going to do something a little different. I'm going to kind of organize this in a way that hopefully will bring clarity to the main points of the text. Uh, I'm kind of doing today what I did back in the height of the pandemic. I, maybe you remember back in June, July, August, something like that. Um, I had a friend of mine who reached out to me and we were talking and somehow we got to talking about old school baseball cards. Anybody got any old baseball cards at home? You know, to be honest with you, I have gotten rid of a ton of stuff from my childhood, but there's some sort of connection to a box of baseball cards. I just can't let it go. You know, like it's going to be with me in my casket one day. Okay. And so like a buddy of mine said, listen, man, these cards are, are getting some great value. And I'm like, man, you know what? I got some good cards. I, I could pay off my house or something. That'd be awesome. And so I went to the attic. I found my baseball cards and, and I opened them up. And the first thing I saw was, man, these, these things are all over the place, right? Like, I opened them up and they weren't organized very well. And I have no idea what like the 12 year old me was thinking when I put them all together, you know? And so I started sorting through them. 
And I made a pile over here of the ones that had value and of the players that I knew were in the Hall of Fame and various things. And then I went through the others and I sorted them by team so that in 20 years when I open them up again, I can make sense of it all, okay? I believe what God is wanting us to see here is three key observations from the text. Not to say that it's nonsense, but, but we can see it in a clear way what God is calling us to understand about perfect love and how we can live in it. Number one, I want you to see this. I want you to see the provision of perfect love. The provision of perfect love. It goes without saying in this text that John is saying loud and clear, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you should, you must, you are commanded to love one another. In fact, the whole passage kind of sums it up in verse 21. This is the commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Speaking of love in the sense of that which is sacrificial, that which is faithful, and that which is unconditional. Some other well, I don't want to. I don't want to love so-and-so. I don't like the fact they've hurt me. I don't want to persevere in that. I don't want to be unconditional. And I definitely don't want to put their needs before myself. But God is saying loud and clear, my calling for you is to express this perfect love to others. Should not come as a surprise to us that Jesus, of course, taught this very same thing. Matthew chapter 22, as the Pharisees were testing him, one of the lawyers spoke up and said, oh, teacher, tell us, what is the greatest commandment of the law? They're trying to trick him. And Jesus says, I tell you, the greatest commandment is, you shall love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus not only said that, he modeled that. In fact, in John chapter 13, as the disciples were all gathered together there in the upper room, the Bible makes it loud and clear that, that there was no one there to wash the feet of the disciples. So what did Jesus do? Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus took off his outer coat, he grabbed a towel, and he bowed down and washed the disciples' feet. He was putting their needs above his own. That same passage, John chapter 13, the very next thing the Bible tells us about is about one of his own, a man by the name of Judas, who, by the way, Jesus had just washed his feet and the Bible says that Judas went out and betrayed him and Jesus knew he was going to. And it's on the heels of washing feet and being betrayed that Jesus makes this statement. A new commandment that I give to you. Listen to this command. That you what? Love one another even as I have loved you. Well, how has he loved them? He loved them by washing their feet, doing the unthinkable. He loved them by loving the very one who he knew would betray him, that I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In other words, what I want us to see is that this perfect love, it is not based upon man. It is not in our ability we can't do this naturally. We can't man up and get her done. This perfect love has one source. It comes from God. So if we're gonna have this perfect love, we need to understand and recognize, we must recognize that the source is God and God alone. We must recognize the source of this love and that is God. The Bible tells loud and clear in verse seven, literally that we are to love, why? Because love is from God. I love how the other scripture says it here loud and clear in verse 16. It simply says this, God is love. In other words, love is not merely what he has expressed. It's not merely what he does. It is his very nature. Everything about God's revelation of himself to man is revealing to us his love. Think of it for just a moment. 
All the way back in the Garden of Eden, God creates Adam and Eve, and the Bible says that they have dominion over the earth, and, and they walk with God. Adam walks with God in the cool of the day. Why did God establish that relationship? Because God is love. God knew that man would be tempted. God knew that man would harden their heart. God knew that man would sin. And so from the very foundation of the world, God had a plan for which, even though they'd be separated by sin, they could be restored to a right relationship with God. Why did God have a plan from the foundation of the world? Because God is love. In God's plan, God had directly and divinely chosen a Jewish people, the people of Israel, that they would be his chosen people, that through this people, God would send his son to be the savior of the world. Why did God choose the smallest and most seemingly insignificant peoples of all the world? According to Deuteronomy 7, because of his great love. And then ultimately, he would one day send Jesus into the world. He would die on the cross for the sins of the world. He'd raise again from the grave. He would demonstrate that he was truly who he is. Over 500 eyewitnesses at one time and multiple witnesses over a 40-day period. Why? Because God is love. And today... God is still convicting of sin. He's still drawing us to a relationship. He's still proving his presence in our life today. Why? Because God is love. He is the very source of love. We must recognize the source of perfect love, and that is God. But secondly, we must also rely completely on the Savior. We cannot love unconditionally on our own. Oh, well, I love so-and-so as long as they're loving me back. It's, it's easy to love somebody who always loves us, who always helps us. It's easy to love somebody who puts our needs before their own. It's easy to love somebody who always gives us the warm and fuzzies. But what about the person that doesn't do that? What about the person that hurts us? What about the person that turns a deaf ear to us? What about the person that frankly to us seems unlovable? We can't love unconditionally in our own strength. In our own strength, we cannot faithfully even love sacrificially. Oh, we, we might make some sacrifices along the way, but only to an extent. We need God's help to do that. We can't love each other faithfully on our own. In our own strength, we, oh, I'm gonna love somebody no matter what happens until it gets to an extremity. And then we begin to realize, wait a second, no, that, that, I'm getting hurt here. I'm getting, I can't continue to love in that way. Naturally, we cannot love this way. We must rely on the Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible tells us loud and clear in verse nine, this simple statement. By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. I cannot love with a perfect love in my own strength. In order to do that, I have to have Jesus Christ living in me. I have to have Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I have to be dead to my wants and my will so that the life of Christ might be manifested in my life. The key to loving others as we ought is that we must rely faithfully on the life of Jesus Christ within us. The Apostle Paul models that for us. No doubt the Apostle Paul faced all sorts of struggles and trials and challenges, all for simply proclaiming and preaching the name of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter four, for example, the apostle Paul has experienced incredible hardship and affliction. In fact, even as he writes this second letter to Corinth, in the first letter, he had to write to them to say, listen, your actions or the things that you've allowed in your church, they're grieving me. They've caused more hurt and pain to me. But in 2 Corinthians chapter four, 
Paul, even though his physical body was going through all sorts of trials and issues, he had a joy in his spirit. And the reason he did is because he was living not through his own strength, but he was living through the life of Christ. Here's what he says. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. Why is that? Here's what he says. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. But Paul's saying, listen, the reason I can persevere, the reason I can love the way that I ought to, the reason I can live the way that I ought to, the reason my life can bring glory and honor to God is simply this. I'm not living for myself anymore. It's not about my wants. It's not about my will. It's not about me. It's about my life being dead so that Christ might live in and through me. Galatians chapter two, verse 20, he had already said it this way. For I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In our flesh, we can't fully love faithfully and unconditionally and sacrificially and purely. However, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you accept him into your life by faith, his life through us can enable us to love in all those ways. But it requires him within us. Everything that has to do with the Christian life is supernatural. So God has given us his Holy Spirit to indwell us, to reproduce the life of Christ in us. The wonderful truth this morning is this, the provision of perfect love has been provided for all who accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Here's the question, have you? You can't love with a perfect love unless you have experienced a perfect love. You may be here today and feel completely in love. You might be here today and think, man, nobody's ever loved me like that. You might be here today and feel like the entire world has abandoned you. You might be here today having gone through this pandemic and feel completely isolated and separated and distanced from everybody that you were once close to. But God, through Jesus Christ on the cross, looks at you loud and clear today and says, I love you. And I love you unconditionally. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter who you've done it with, I love you unconditionally. God looks at you today and you might feel like nobody on this earth gives a rip and yet God looks at you through the sacrifice of Christ and he says, I love you sacrificially. It didn't matter that it would cost me my son. It didn't matter the grief that I was experiencing in that moment. I love you. And God looks at you faithfully and he says, listen, there's nothing you can do. If you experience Christ your Lord and Savior, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God found in Christ Jesus. The provision of love is that God is the source, so we must rely on him. The second thing I want you to see is this, loud and clear, that is the picture of perfect love. That is the picture of perfect love. Um, we live in a culture today that's all about pictures and images. And we live in a culture today that gives all sorts of pictures and ideas of what love is. Hallmark is making a killing off of our insatiable desire to know what love is, right? 
I mean, they really are. We, all, we wanna know what love is all about. Recently, I had a, an opportunity to go spend some time with one of my daughters and we had gone to breakfast together and we were, we were sitting there at breakfast and my daughter's reaching that phase where everything's kind of like, you know, oohs and ahs and cutes and all those different things. And we sat down to eat breakfast and across the way, there was an older couple and, and, uh, and, and, and they were struggling just a little bit, but there was an older couple and it was clear that they were married and they'd been together for a long time. And I began to notice just about every time my daughter daughter would look up. She wasn't looking at me. She was looking at the older couple in the corner. So what are you doing? She's like, daddy, look at them. They're so sweet. They're so in love, you know? What's she doing? She's picturing in her mind what love looks like and what she wants to experience one day when, when she's in, in that phase of life, right? We have an insatiable desire to know what does love look like? God tells us loud and clear what perfect love looks like. Perfect love is not merely an emotion. Many of us describe love as an emotion, but emotions come and go, just like your hunger comes and goes along the way, right? Love is not merely an emotion. Love is not merely a word that is spoken. Oh, God tells us that he loves us. In fact, he says, this is my nature, I am love. But God demonstrated it in an incredible way. Look at verses nine and 10. By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has what? Sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, key statement, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God loved us, he loved us first, and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, there's a lot of comparisons that we could maybe think of, illustrations, pictures of sacrificial love. Maybe when you think of sacrificial love, you think of what we've seen demonstrated maybe today. You think of parents. Good and godly parents will be sacrificial in the way that they love and take care of their children. They'll often put their children's need above their own to make sure that they have the food they need and the shoes they need and the clothes they need and their provisions. And that's a great sacrificial love. But it's not perfect because, can I just honestly confess as a parent of four, there are sometimes I've made those sacrifices begrudgingly. Right? I bought the new jacket because I had to and I didn't get to go to the other thing that I wanted to do with the money, right? I mean, I love my children. I put their need above my own, yes, but I don't always do that willingly necessarily. Oftentimes because my wife says, you're gonna do it or die, you know? And so it's like, oh, you know, I wanna live. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Maybe when we think of a sacrificial love, we think of a soldier. Maybe you have family and friends. Like I have family and friends who've paid the ultimate sacrifice. They've given their life in battle for our freedom and our protection. And even as I say that statement, my mind immediately thinks of specific names and people who have impacted my life in ways that they will never fully understand. And while that's sacrificial and it's incredible and it's noble and noteworthy, even a soldier can't do that perfectly because frankly, if they knew all the people that took that for granted, who could care less of that sacrifice, many of them would rethink that choice. God tells us about a perfect sacrificial love that's found in the illustration of Jesus Christ. It's not that we loved God. See, God wasn't looking at us saying, you know what, they love me so much, I'm gonna love them back. You know what, they're, they're such good and kind and warm-hearted people, I'm gonna do something for them. 
That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says God first loved us and sent his son Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, the word propitiation is a very weird word. Don't try to say it, okay? Tough. But the word propitiation literally means that Jesus was the satisfier. He was the appeasement between us and God. This is a really weak illustration, but let me just try to practically illustrate it in this way. The other day, I stopped by a little country gas station near my house, filled up outside with gas, and as I was filling up, frankly, I got thirsty. So I decided I was gonna go inside of the gas station and get something to drink. I went in, and I noticed there was a, a little bit of an awkward situation between the cashier and the gentleman who was before me. And the bottom line is, is that he had gotten so many things that he had a few bucks that he still owed the cashier, but he had no more money. And, and they were kind of going back and forth. And, and I frankly, rarely ever, ever keep cash on me anymore. But in this moment, I had a fresh, crisp $20 bill. And, and so, so he's kind of fussing at her um, um, her English wasn't extremely well, really, really good. And so there was confusion there. And it was just a, it was a moment of conflict, if you will. And so instead of, you know, just letting it go and sitting back, or whatever else, I just took the $20 bill and said, hey man, I've got this. I'm not looking for attention here. That's not what I'm saying this for. But the lady, I mean, just the, the relief she experienced because she felt threatened by this guy's personality, the relief that she experienced, it was like a weight was lifted from her in that moment. She took a $20 bill, she gave me the change, he couldn't believe I'd done it, he thanked me and I said, God bless you, and he went outside and then I purchased my drink and I went on my way. You know what was happening in that moment? He owed a debt that he didn't have the money to pay. And so in that moment of conflict, God allowed me to step in and pay the debt. That's a very weak illustration compared to what Jesus has done, but it illustrates the point. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all of us, somebody say all. That's you, that's me, that's black, that's white, that's male, that's female. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of that. The wages of sin is death. That, that means you and I without Christ, we're guilty of our sins. Yeah, but I went to church. Who cares? That doesn't save you. But, but I grew up in Bible Belt, Virginia. That doesn't save you. My granddaddy was a preacher. That doesn't save you either. The wages of sin is death. Apart from Christ, the Bible says, because we are in our sin, we literally are separated from God and we are enemies of Christ. But the wonderful truth of God's love is this. When we could do nothing to save ourselves, when we were destined, frankly, to pay a debt of death and separation from God, Jesus stepped in and he intervened. Jesus, we were at a conflict. We were separated from God. We weren't on the same page. There was a division that separated us. And when we had this debt and we were squandering in our sin, Jesus stepped in and he took the debt for us. The Bible says literally that Jesus went to the cross. Think of, think of the image for a moment. The very son of God, God in flesh, he came from heaven down to earth, not to be treated as a king, but to suffer and die for us who are guilty. 
The Bible says he lived a sinless life. He never, ever sinned. And yet the Bible says he allowed himself to go through that crucifixion. He went like a lamb before its shears. He was, he was dumb, which means he didn't speak defensively of himself. He just, he allowed it to happen. He experienced it because he knew what he was doing. Envision that scene in your mind of Jesus and them taking the cat of nine tails and the Bible says they, they beat him those 39 times. He's bloodied and beaten to a pulp. They, 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 they hit him, they pluck his beard, they strip him of his garments and they make him carry his cross to Calvary. They finally get there to that mountain and they, they stretch out his hands and they literally take these nails and they thrust them into his hands, into his feet and they, they, they lift him up into the ground. There's a hole already there and when that cross goes out on the ground, his whole body would have jolted on that cross. And yet, <laughs> And yet he is so loving. He would cry out. Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. Not Father, condemn them. Father, reject them. Father, get them. You see what they're doing. No, no, no. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. The picture of perfect love. And Paul summarizes it in the most simple way in Romans 5 verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I am convinced that the greatest act of love the world has ever seen did not happen in a Hallmark movie, does not happen at the altar of a church. It happened when Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. Warren Wiersbe tells us, that that perfect love of God now inspires us and even instructs us in how we are to live today. And here's what he says. The deeper we go into the meaning of the cross, the greater will be our love for Christ and the greater our active concern for one another. Which brings me to the third point, and that is this. If you're still with me, would you say, all right? I want you to see the power of perfect love. The provision of perfect love is that God is the source. And so we must be in relationship with him. That relationship begins the very moment we call upon Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior. Do you have a relationship with God? If you're here today and you don't, you can. If you've never experienced the gift of salvation and the joy of God's presence in your life, you can today, and I'll explain how in just a moment. The provision of perfect love. The picture of perfect love is to see what Jesus did for us, even though we didn't deserve it. But I want you to see in our remaining moments the power of perfect love. See, this perfect, sacrificial, pure, faithful, unconditional love of God is described in 1 Corinthians 13 as it says this. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. This perfect love never fails. Now faith, hope, and love abide these, but this perfect love, the greatest of these, is love. In other words, God's perfect love is not merely an emotion, but an active force that works in us and through us. So how does perfect love work in and through our lives today? I want you to see in our simple times together four simple things that God's perfect love does in our life. Number one, it proves that we have been born of God. 
It proves that we have been born of God. Please understand and hear me loud and clear. I'm not saying you gotta leave here and try to love other people well so that you can earn God's grace because there's nothing you can do to earn it. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, we are saved by grace through faith and not of works so that no one may boast. The only way we can be saved is by grace through faith. But when you and I do, we have experienced God's grace. We have been forgiven. And, and the evidence of that is that we love one another. It will prove that we have been born of God. God loves the whole world, amen? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. But that does not mean that everyone has received God's love. Many hear it. Many grew up hearing it their whole life, and yet they reject it. Many come to church even every Sunday and still they reject it. The Bible says in John chapter one, verse 12, as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but they were born of God. In other words, when you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're adopted into the family of God and you are given a new nature. And in that new nature, we begin to love others the way that we ought. I think about that and my mind goes back to a man that I remember hearing as a testimony several years ago. He was a businessman and by his own profession, he would tell you that he was not a very good businessman in the sense that he didn't take good care of people. He didn't really care about his customers. He didn't take care of his employees. And sadly, one of the reasons I was hearing his testimony was because the way he treated other relationships would also begin to be impacted in his home and the way that he treated his wife and his kids. But in a state of, frankly, discouragement and a very low point in his life, he went to a church. And he began to go because he heard a message there that just kind of drew him and he heard the truth that God loves him, that Jesus died on the cross for his sins, that Jesus could forgive him and cleanse him, making him a brand new creation. And he began to really question, is this true? Is this real? And in time, he came to the place in his life where he believed in Jesus. He repented of his sins and he became a follower of Christ. By his own testimony, one of the things that really began to convince him that yes, this is true, that this is real, it began to convince him that yes, I am indeed saved. I've repented of my sins and turned to Jesus is because after he turned to Jesus, the first change he experienced is this. He began to see other people differently. He began to treat his employees differently. He began to take time to talk to his customers, to build relationships, to learn about their life and by his own testimony, after 30 years of marriage, he began to finally, for the first time, love his wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. What made the difference? What made the difference is this. There was the old him and there was the new him who knew Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. When you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, it will not be about your religious practice on Sunday. It will be evident and seen through your relationships every single day. It proves that we've been born of God. Secondly, it produces assurance that we're in a, a relationship with God. It, pro, it provides an assurance that we have an ongoing fellowship with God, that we truly know him, that we're walking with him. Literally twice in this passage of scripture, we see in verse seven, this wonderful truth, it, it's that we're born of God and that we know God. Again, in verse eight, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. The word know here is a word of relationship. 
Many people know facts. I could ask you facts just about any experience in your life. Well, what day were you born? And okay, great. Well, when did you move here? Okay, great. And, and, and what did you do for Christmas on December, you know, December 25th, uh, 2020? And I, we can know facts about people. But the word of knowing here is a word of relationship. Here's my question. Are you in relationship? Do you have fellowship with God? where you know that he's walking with you. You're, you're, you're hearing from his word. You're, you're following his leading in your life. Do you have that relationship? Perfect love in our life provides assurance that we know God. That's why in verses 13 through 16, once again, as we've seen already, if you've been here before in this series, we see that little word, abide. He's talking about abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in us. As we abide in Christ's love, Christ abides in us. It's this abiding, the idea is of an intimate relationship, a close connection. You know that you are connected to God. Do you have that connection? If you're here this morning, I don't know if I have that connection. I don't know if I'm close to God. I mean, I've been to church and all stuff. If you don't know you have it, you ain't got it. Third thing, it points others to God. Verses 12, verse 17, this is awesome. It says this, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Verse 17, by this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also we are in this world. I love that statement. No one has seen God at any time. But when we love with a perfect love for one another, guess what happens? His love is perfected in us. You know what that means? What literally God is saying through John is this. He said, listen, the world can't see me right now. Jesus came and he lived and the Bible says the fullness of deity dwell in bodily form in Christ. He lived and he died and he rose again and after 40 days he ascended to heaven. He's in heaven today preparing a place for all who believe. The world cannot see Jesus with their eyes. But guess what? They can see us. You know Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Please understand, Christian. The world is looking at you and they are getting their understanding of who Jesus is through your life. Here's a question I wanna ask you, if you know Christ. What kind of Jesus is your life painting for others around you? I, I, I don't know, at least in my lifetime, and I know some of you say, oh, you're young, and the others of you'd be like, yeah, dude, you're old and ancient, right? But the bottom line is this. I don't know in my lifetime if I have ever seen the church as divided as it is today the big C church. We're caught up and divided over political issues and pandemic issues and personal issues and all these different things that have nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what kind of Jesus are you presenting to the lost people in the world around you? So the fact is that when we love one another, faithfully and sacrificially and unconditionally and purely, God's love is perfected in us. And the idea here is simply this, man cannot see God, but they can see us. And our love for one another should reveal God's love to a needy world. One writer said it this way, you're writing a gospel, a chapter each day by the deeds that you do and the words that you say. 
Men, read what you write, distorted or true. So what is the gospel according to you? Do the people around you see Jesus or not? Philippians chapter two, verses 14 through 15, Paul summarized it this way. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. God is calling us as believers to love each other with a perfect and faithful love, not merely for our sake, but in recognizing that the world is getting their opinion and understanding of who Jesus really is through our actions. Fourth thing I want you to see it does is this. Perfect love provides peace in our lives. Verse 17 and 18. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. Can I just remind us today of a very simple and yet sobering truth? Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27 tells us basically the end. What it's gonna be like at the end of this life. Unless Jesus comes back while we're living, the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and after this is the judgment. Let me ask you a question. The thought of standing before God in judgment, does that bring fear to your life? See, the reality is, is that God is a perfect and righteous and true judge. That's entirely true. But the Bible says perfect love casts out fear because perfect love is based on relationship and not based upon judgment. Many people in our world today try to dismiss and deny the existence of God because they are fearful of one day standing before God and giving an account. They, they don't want to give an account. They don't want to understand that there's an absolute truth that we're gonna give an account. We're gonna live our life however we please and we're gonna dismiss God altogether because I don't wanna have to answer for my life. Many people live with fear about the reality of judgment. But for those who've experienced perfect love, the Bible says there's not fear. There's peace in our heart. There's peace in our life. Why? Because we know God. We know him not as judge. We know him as father. We, we know him not as a brother. We, we know him not as great big old God off in the distance that I'm gonna stand, no, no, no. We know him as gracious and compassionate father who made a way for us to be saved and to be right with him. The truth is this morning, if we experience that perfect love through faith in Jesus Christ and continue to walk in that relationship with him, God gives us a peace that passes all understanding. Why? Because perfect love casts out fear. Truth be told, there's a lot of things in our world this past year that's happened 
that's been driven by fear. Oh, that would never happen. Uh, go look at the gas pumps this past Tuesday. Any of y'all wait in line? Help me know that I'm not the only one, please, right? I mean, okay, all right. Fear has driven so much and is still driving so much of the culture, right? Oh, what's gonna happen with this election? What's gonna happen with this mess? What's gonna happen with gas? What's gonna happen with that? But when you know your salvation is secure, when you know this sorry, broken world is not your home, you're just passing through, heading to glory, when you know the one who is in control and you already know the end of the story, you know what you can walk in? You can walk in peace. Does that mean you won't have a moment of concern or anxiety? No. But you'll walk in peace because you're walking with the Lord. My question is simply this. Are you walking with the Lord? Have you experienced that perfect love by faith? And are you expressing it to others around you? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for speaking to our hearts and lives. I believe right now, God, there's a work that you want to do. God, there are many of us here today who are not certain of our relationship with you. We don't know that we know. We're not, a, we're not really sure of where we stand with you. And so God, I pray for those in that situation that today would be their day where they put their faith in Jesus. Today, they would hear that promise that whoever calls in the name of Jesus as Lord will be saved. And I pray today that you would save their soul, change their life, and, and help them to experience by your grace that perfect love and the peace that follows. Father, I pray for those who are saved, who are already believers, God, that today, those individuals in their life that frankly just kind of seem unlovable, it's so difficult to love those individuals who've, who've hurt them and have rejected them and done all sorts of things. God, I pray today that through the life of Christ in them and through them, that you would help them to love as you've called them to. God, may this be in all of our lives so that our lives would bring glory and honor to you, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.